0: a bit of an object lesson on uh, proper uh, behavior and posture when hiking in Nepal. Um, So last Tuesday, I woke up with some um, mild food poisoning and then took a nice hour uh, ride where I grew more and more nauseated uh, on the bumpy roads of Kathmandu out to the foothills. Then uh, hiked for a while on which uh, our Nepali friend told me about a trekking tour he had been on. Actually, it was a biking tour where one of the women had um, gotten really sick as well and, and vomited a lot, but then she still carried her bike over some, uh, like I don't know, like eight, 5,000-meter um, uh, mountain passes. The discussion of what she was eating and her vomiting led me to vomit. Um, and I felt a lot better at that point. Um, stopped for some tea, some Sprite, walked a bit longer, a nice long hike. Uh, finally got to the peak of the hike. I got some beautiful views of the Himalayas um, and we thought I was close to the end. Uh, I was getting a little tired and, and on the way back down it was getting cold. it was kind of in the afternoon. Uh, I, I had my hands in my um, Providence College Friars uh, jacket to keep them warm and uh, slipped and fell and, and broke my nose and bled a lot. Um, luckily, our uh, Nepali friend Tenzing he um, had just gone through first aid training and was able to uh mitigate the damage substantially to the point that um you know i'm, I'm, I'm bruised i'm battered my pride is is beaten um but i'm here and um and I, don't, and I probably will be no worse for the wear in a few days so a lesson learned even if you're wearing a providence friars jacket don't don't walk with your hands in your pocket when you're uh hiking in nepal <laughs>
1: The rest of the way. Double, double bonus. It's well. right. Two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Welcome to episode nine of the Double Bonus Podcast. Along with Brendan DeRocher, I'm Tom Vorstein. We are coming from different continents on different sides of the international dateline. Uh, it's very exciting to see Brendan. And now that you mentioned, I do see your nose is broken in our little uh, video chat here. But I was just so distracted <laughs> by the return of the Brendan throws your beard that I could could not help but miss such an, a rare flaw on your face, Brendan. So I hope you're feeling better. And uh, yeah, yeah, usually
0: I depend on you, Tom, to be my beard, but today I grew really <sighs> this one myself.
1: <laughs> my other question is. Uh, how, where do you where do you draw the line of mild food poisoning? We don't get into too many details here, but you've had worse cases than this one.
0: I had definitely had a worse case of food poisoning than this, um, and that was at the end of my honeymoon in Phuket, when I went to um, a cafe in the middle of the rainforest and would uh, have a, a soda after a nice hike before our flight back to to Hong Kong after our uh, honeymoon. Um, and the lovely waitress was very insistent that I get uh, some sort of a beef dish which would, turned out to be a very bad idea um, yeah so that was definitely the worst case we don't go into details but uh, in this case I think it was maybe some some onions and, and tomatoes from, uh, from a kati roll that I, we had in Tamil or I, I had I ordered two thinking they were quite small and they ended up being quite large and I ate a lot of them and um, you know
1: yeah, gotta be careful one with kati roll yada yada yada
0: yeah.
1: yeah so anyway I mentioned the bisque <laughs> All right, check one off the list. There we go. Uh, where do you want to start, Brendan? Where do you want to start? A lot of college basketball you've been yeah. following while you've been in the Himalayas and Hong Kong on the other mm-hmm. side of the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the, um, I was able to watch a game on a beautiful um, uh, screen on uh, Saturday morning here, Friday night. Uh, Friday night was actually a pretty fun night of uh, college basketball. I know Saturday had some good games as well, but it's Friday night in um, you know the Eastern Hemisphere and Saturday morning here in Hong Kong. Um, the Big East had some good games. We'll talk about them later. Marquette, uh, Marcus Howard had a huge game. Providence, Texas. Uh, I know, um, uh, I think that was Baylor, Oregon night as well. Uh, and also the night that Furman, I think, took the, its first loss, the night that Gonzaga led like 33 to 4 in Denver. So that was kind of the time that I was most focused on college basketball. I also caught a couple other games um, when I woke up in the middle of the night in Nepal. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's, let's get started with, uh, with you know, what people come here for. They come here for uh, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, Blue Bloods. Uh, so let's start with Duke, Texas Tech. I was following this game on uh, Twitter, and people were um, apoplectic. This is where we need to start. Apoplectic about the number of charges that were called, um, particularly when Zion Williamson fouled out with his fifth foul, a charge that uh, Texas Tech picked up. I, w- I want to under- I want to know what you think about the, the charge uh, and, and the outrage about the charge in college basketball.
1: I would say that charges are, are annoying to see called, but I think the outrage over them, just like the outrage over everything, is probably overblown. I, I do think that the, the rules protecting the defender sometimes seem to get a little carried away. I think it's a much more dramatic call for the officials sometimes to call the offensive foul, the player control foul, but I do think that we've seen some overreactions to uh, to this kind of thing in on Twitter. Everyone just flipped out. I was a fl- flying during this, but I did see our little Twitter account light up with calling out Mr. Jordan Schultz uh, Schultz, I should say, for saying that the offensive foul is literally everything wrong with college basketball right now. And Brendan, your take on it was pretty smart. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I guess
0: the question is. I'm sure you could change it in some way. Um, I guess maybe in the NBA, players are a little bit more adept about avoiding the charges. Like, is the rule really that different? Like, if a player is stationary, another player runs over the player, then it's a charge. If a player's not stationary, then don't call a charge, or call a call block or a no call. I'd be a fan of more no calls, honestly, in totally college agree basketball. With that, yeah. um, and maybe also calling some flops. Uh, you know, I was watching, um, when I was watching the Providence-Texas uh, game, I don't want to, mm-hmm smurged uh, Texas because you know uh, I think that they play really hard and they you know they might end up being a pretty good team. But Elijah Matrulong, Long probably I think he's um, I think was it was Matru Long that went to Iowa State was that, that was I think that might be his brother. Um, he flopped multiple times and I think he got a ch- block on it once or twice and he got a charge on it once or twice and I think some of those times it should have just been either no call and maybe a warning for uh, for flopping. Um, but what do you think of the actual? Um, Performance by Duke—they uh, didn't play as well offensively as they have, but um, their defense was uh, was very good. And Texas Tech, uh, you know, was undefeated and is a, is a very good team. And uh, Duke, even though they didn't play very well, they still won by double digits.
1: Yeah, I mean, Texas Tech was in control, or at least in this game. You wouldn't know it from the final score, but they were very much in this game for much of probably the first three quarters of the game. Uh, but obviously, the Duke defense really stepped up. They held Texas Tech to .71 points per possession. Trey Jones was an animal. He had six steals, six of Duke's 15 steals. Um, and, you know, Duke is obviously known for their offensive firepower in the freshman class, but to have 15 steals against a uh, Texas Tech team that is, you know, top 10 team probably is a really impressive. Uh, accomplishments. So the defense really stepped up, and that's kind of what distinguishes may distinguish Duke from some of the other top teams like North Carolina and Gonzaga. As the season wears on, it's just their defense, their ability to force live ball turnovers, which with their offensive um, potency is going to be a real problem for teams as they turn those quick uh, quick steals into buckets on the other end.
0: Yeah, Texas Tech became um, the first defense to hold Duke. Under a uh, point per possession, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Let's see, the previous low for points per possessions for, for Duke this season was against Yale, which was 109.1 point, one point uh, basically 1.1, 1.10, and in this game they had 0.85. So. Texas Tech's defense was terrific, but um, but Duke really adjusted well and forced Jarrett Culver to basically do it all by himself. He did score 25 points, but he wasn't a, tremendously efficient. He had six turnovers, and no one else really helped him out. Matt Mooney had six turnovers in a very very poor game. Um, and then you know they're playing Tariq Owens a lot, the former St. John's center, um, but Owens is not really an offensive as uh, much of an offensive threat. Um, no one else in the, in the game that played much for, um, uh, for Texas Tech really took many shots or or took many possessions. And, uh, certainly that's a a limiting factor when, you know, Chris Beard has been getting a lot more out of less talent, Texas Tech, uh, they're talented, but they're not nearly as talented as team like Duke. And yet they're kind of playing toe to toe with them over over the last couple of years, those types of teams. Um, but you know, when you force. Uh, when you're able to kind of limit all but one player because everyone else is not quite offensively talented enough, uh, it really limits what you can do offensively.
1: Definitely. And uh, two other things I want to talk about. Duke probably would have come back in this game or been in this game or taken control of this game more early or earlier in the game if they had not shot just 3 of 20 from beyond the arc. RJ Barrett, everyone's getting on him, it was 0 for 7 uh, from three-point land. Trey Jones 0 for 2. Cam Reddish 1 for 5. So they obviously, you know, if they shot more closer to their what you'd expect them to shoot that game might have been a little bit, uh, Duke might have taken control more earlier in the game and yeah, but it was 42-34 Texas Tech with about 14 minutes to go in this game and Duke came back and just took control and just shut them down so full credit to them uh, for winning this game
0: Yeah, uh, the last note on this one, uh, Texas Tech shot um, uh, not terrible actually, 5 for 16 31%, it wasn't like I guess they started out worse. Uh, Duke shot three for 20 on threes. But um, Jordan Sperber on on Twitter points out that uh, Duke opponents have shot under the NCAA average three-point percentage in every season of the Ken Palm era. And he he showed this chart basically where it showed coaches – Defense, they basically had each coach's name on a, on a chart. Going up the y axis was opponent's three point percentage, and going on the x axis was the percentage of opponent shots that are three pointers. And normally, what happens is if you really work hard to get people off the line, um, to shooting three pointers, um, then what happens is they'll, um, they may shoot. It's very hard, basically, to shoot have a, an opponent shoot few three pointers and make a low percentage. Because usually, if you're working hard to limit three pointers, then the ones they do shoot are, are more open. Um, but Mike D'Antoni is a huge outlier on this chart. No one's even close to him in terms of both limiting three pointers uh, and also um, ha- uh, permitting a very low percentage. We see like Bo Ryan and Randy Bennett, John Calipari are kind of in vague striking distance but really it's my by himself as the best three-point defender
1: um defending coach in college basketball yeah and bill evans obviously not doing a good job because he's in the complete opposite quadrant uh, here allowing a lot of three attempts and a lot of percentages uh, a lot of makes so he is he's doing everything wrong that uh coach k is doing correct apparently
0: yeah, Bill Evans, William Lamar Evans is. Uh, this is according to Wikipedia. Current college basketball coach for Idaho State University and a former head coach for Southern Utah University. Sixty-nine years old, born in San Mateo, California. So, Bill Evans, rare Bill Evans mentioned mentioned on the podcast.
1: First and last, most likely.
0: <laughs> okay, let's move on. Um, we got a lot to talk about. We've been gone for a couple of weeks. Um, North Carolina Beacon Gonzaga. Lost it. Lost to Kentucky. Um, do you have any thoughts on the loss to Kentucky or the 103 win over Gonzaga, which was a week earlier?
1: Uh, I was watching this game um, at a bar, so I paid a fair amount of attention to it. Uh, Carolina's offense looked really good, and Gonzaga's defense, very unimpressive. Um, I'm a little concerned about them as they face a run-and-gun team. North Carolina's is the perfect matchup for them. They just kind of go out there and say, we'll run with you, we'll play our, our game, and if you can't stop us, we'll outscore you because our, our offense is very good um Cameron Johnson was amazing in this game six of eight from three and they just they were shooting very well and they probably would shoot this well all the time but I was very impressed with their offense in this game it just Kentucky could do nothing to slow down Carolina I know it was at North Carolina but to allow 1.23 points for possession to allow 100 points uh in the game they allowed 53 in the first half and 50 in the second half uh, not something you want to see at Gonzaga. I know everyone's high on them. People saying this could be the best Mark Few team. We've heard that being floated around. That they're going to have to play a little bit better defense uh, than they did in this one to uh, to make that claim in my book.
0: Yeah, and uh, there's, if you look at recent uh, offenses, and again, this came from uh, Jordan Sperber, HoopVisionSkidea on Twitter, a great, great college basketball um, Twitter follow. Um, the last... One, two, three, seven teams that have finished number one in Ken Palm efficiency on offense uh, have either played in the national championship game or lost in the first round of the tournament. So we had Villanova last year, who won national championship. Oklahoma State the previous year, that lost in the first round. Um, UNC, um, the previous year, that lost to Villanova in the championship game. Wisconsin, the previous year, lost to Duke in the championship game then duke in 2014 that lost in the first round was that to mercer in yes 2014? I, I believe know. so yeah uh, michigan in 2013 that was national runner-up losing to louisville and then missouri in 2012 um that lost in the first round that massive upset uh one of one of the biggest uh well we now have virginia but um missouri lost to uh it was a, a swag team they lost to um state that's the wrong team um norfolk state that's right they lost in norfolk state in the first round and that was um one of the big subsets in college basketball tournament history um so I, when you look at this the teams that made the championship game were all teams that had decent defenses not great defenses but decent defenses um villanova was 11th well that's that's a pretty good defense unc was 21 wisconsin was 35 michigan was 37 the teams lost in the first round had poor defenses. Oklahoma State was 155th. Michigan, sorry, Duke was 86th. And Missouri was 111th. And right now, Gonzaga, at least at the writing of this tweet, sat at 64th in the country on defense. And right now sits at 60th. What are your thoughts on whether the defense will be good enough to allow them to be one of those teams that might go to the title game or more likely a team that might lose in the first round? Uh,
1: I don't think either. I think that's kind of a fluke. But I don't think you ever see a team as imbalanced as Oklahoma State again. Uh, leading the country in offensive efficiency. That's kind of crazy. But uh, it is interesting to see how... I mean, defense... They say defense wins championships, but uh, you still need the offense. So I wouldn't really um, count them out. I'm also surprised that Oklahoma State team... I forgot how good they were offensively two years ago. Uh, that's yeah, kinda, Keenan Evans. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. Um,
0: and then uh, a week later, North Carolina went from being like kind of the darlings of... Uh, bouncing back, bouncing back from a couple early season losses, and then a week later they uh, they kind of throw up a, a stinker against uh, Kentucky, losing eighty to seventy two. Uh, Keldon Johnson um, had twenty one points uh, and three steals. Um, and then on North Carolina's side, we see Kobe White had one of his worst games, four turnovers, uh, only eight points, um, and then Nasir Little only played fourteen minutes. Um, and I know that there's been a lot of talk. Uh, I think. Uh, I haven't listened to it yet, but the CBS Ion College Basketball Podcast just posted, uh, mentioned that uh, had a segment about how Roy Williams is not holding Nasir Little back, and people were talking about calm down about Nasir Little. And, of course, we've been on the side mainly of let's not overreact to Nasir Little's playing time. Um, But I don't know. What do you think about North Carolina based on that game? And and is Kentucky back in the discussion of being in – Final Four in a national, national title contender, considering their defense held North Carolina to .87 points per possession. has been really good of late, except for the uh, Seton Hall game when the Pirates uh, shot them out of the building.
1: I mean, the thing about Kentucky is they've been very sketchy outside of uh, Rupp Arena this year, and this is their first win, I believe, outside of Rupp. Uh, so far, they were they lost to uh, Duke to start the year, then they lost to Seton Hall, and then they finally played Carolina outside and won. Uh, in between, they beat teams such as VMI. These are all terrible teams. They played at home. Uh, Utah from the illustrious Pac-12, they played at home a week before this Carolina game. So this is definitely by far their best effort of the season. The Cedar Hall loss at uh, New Jersey doesn't look so bad anymore, considering Cedar Hall is 55th in Ken Palm, and that game was an overtime. It was a one-point loss. So, uh, not, it was at MSG. MSG, yeah. Okay. Well, still in New York. But... Um, I think Kentucky is still obviously has some growing into to do. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but their schedule to open the sec season is not that tricky given what it could be. They're playing Alabama, Texas NM and Vanderbilt and Georgia before they have to go to Auburn. So they really have some winnable games there. They have Louisville on Saturday before that, which they've had the better of recently. Uh, their defense is very good. And as far as, uh, Nas Little goes. Basically, Gary, I did listen to that podcast. Gary Parrish's point is no matter what Roy Williams does, if Nas Little wants to go to the draft, he will go. And it's not really going to affect his draft stock that much. The idea that Roy Williams is naturally is, is intentionally not playing him to try to get him to stay in North Carolina for multiple seasons doesn't really hold much water. His belief basically is that Little uh, is just not there on defense really and is missing assignments and looking lost. And that's not enough to cancel out his athleticism and playmaking ability. On offense, mm. but I do think you might want to play the guy if he's so talented. Roy Williams said he's the best player, the best athlete he's ever had. You may want to just try to play him a little more. I don't know if we're at a point in the season where you just can't play him because of his, of his defense, but that's a decision for the coach, obviously.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think any notion that. Roy Williams is trying to keep him around for a second year. That's ridiculous. Like, yeah. if people... I, I think if you want to say he should be playing more because North Carolina is better with him on the floor and, like, any kind of, like, idea that, like, oh, by playing him less now, they'll be better later is ridiculous. Like, okay, I can at least support that as a theoretical philosophy. But to say that Roy Williams has any I, any thought that, that Naslil is going to stay an extra year if he plays him less this season is just, it's just like, absurd.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's just wrong. So... But yes, you can definitely make your case he should be on the court more. Um, But Kobe White, to me, was the bigger story from this game, how poorly he played. And um, really, like who had a good game offensively for Carolina in this game? Garrison Brooks. Uh, Yeah, really no one played well offensively. So credit to Kentucky's defense for um, shutting them down. And maybe Kentucky, which always brings in new players, needed some more time to get to where they need to be. And maybe they're growing into this team a little bit. Obviously, they weren't where they needed to be when they played Duke uh, to open the season. Everyone thought they were number one type team. So maybe California just needs some time to get them together. So we'll see as they go through the sec will not be a keg for them, but they do have a good start. So they really have a chance to build momentum up here.
0: Yeah. And uh, kind of last note on Kentucky. Um, uh, they still have allowed one of the highest three point percentages of the season, which, uh, at 39%, which is 328th of 350, I think three teams in division one. Um, And, you know, North Carolina, um, I I don't think they shot particularly well in three-pointers, nine for 26, 35%. That's Kentucky, actually. Seven for 18, 39%. So they shot pretty much what teams have been shooting against them. But, um, you know, Seton Hall shot really well against them in that that loss. They shot uh, 11 for 26. Uh, And, you know, obviously, with the exception of folks like Mike Krzyzewski, um, we haven't seen uh, teams... um, be coaches be able to hold teams down consistently on three-pointers. Uh, John, that same chart, John Calipari actually has been pretty good at holding teams to low percentages, um, and so I think that that will regress a lot. Um, and so you'll see a lot of Kentucky's bad defense, quote-unquote bad defense, which is now 33rd in Ken Palm, is attributable, I think, to um, that three-point shooting. Uh, so we'll see if that continues um, during the rest of the Louisville game and the SEC conference schedule.
1: Yeah, well, we'll see. I think that they uh, they have a shot to be pretty good. We'll see. The top, obviously, SEC is stacked, and you can argue Tennessee is the number one team, should be the number one team in the country, or is one of the best teams in the country. Uh, but they'll have uh, they'll have some chances to get some more big wins in the SEC for sure.
0: Yeah, be interesting where we have Tennessee and Kentucky and some of these other SEC teams when we do our updated top twenty-five, uh, probably in our next podcast, which should come out around New Year's Day. Um, let's move on to well, Kansas. Sorry, Tom lost okay. his first game of the season, losing for the second straight season to Arizona State over the weekend. Uh, a team in Arizona State that has had had a good start to the season, but then have been scuffling a little bit of late. Uh, but none, and and outscored Kansas 13 to 2 to end the game um, and knock off the Jayhawks. Uh, what what do you what do you have on this?
1: Uh, Their backcourt needs some work right now. Vick was ice cold, and he's a shooter, not really a distributor. He was 3 of 11 from outside, and he's really their only 3-point threat as a team. They shot 7 of 28. It was not pretty. Uh, Devon Donson and uh, Quentin Grimes combined for 8 turnovers and did not really look so sharp. 20 points, 8 turnovers between the two of them. Some big ones down the stretch. Diedrich Lawson is amazing. Again, they relied on him. Uh, He scored 30, shot 11 of 13 from 2. And made it one of his two threes so he's obviously a beast as still out we'll see when he comes back we hope around uh kansas fans would hope around uh the start of the big 12 season but obviously they miss him down low he's such a big part of their offense and the the, the guards just need to play better like they've always had like a steady and force in the backcourt whether it be frank mason or Devonte graham the last couple years they really just need someone to step up and play better and this is a road game uh, the, the most frustrating thing about this game is this is a game... Kansas has been known for trailing in these games. and Just coming back uh, late and making a nice run or you know going on a big run in the second half. They've trailed to Marquette. They've trailed to teams like Vermont even. Uh, New Mexico State. Stanford they've trailed and come back. This game they led the whole time. You think it was fine. And then they just blow the game at the end, as you said. A 13-2 run to end the game for Arizona State. So it's just funny how this is their first loss when they really played from ahead uh, for this most of this game. And Kansas has been a little bit lucky they're still good but they have been a little bit lucky maybe not quite as lucky as Indiana which we might get into in a second but they have been very lucky and uh, some of that's a credit credit to uh, Bill Self but some of that's just, you know, luck so uh, we'll see where they go from here Um, but they have a... Yeah, credit to Arizona State
0: Yeah, for Um, sure just we'll mention a couple of their players Uh, you know, they had they played Nevada really close on December 7th a couple weeks ago Losing by six, um, and they led in that game, I believe, uh, by a significant amount. Yeah, I'm looking. It's, I think, it, at one point they led by 14 points, and they led it by 12 at the half, um, and they led even as late as 60-53, uh, and uh, like the eight-minute mark. Um, so they end up getting kind of ramroded the last. Uh, eight minutes of that game by Nevada. But um, they didn't get a great game from Lou Dort, who's their uh, really, really good freshman, probably their best player. He did take a lot of shots, and he ended up scoring 13 um, with uh, five assists, but he was only two, uh, three for f- 14 from the field. Um, but they got a pretty balanced attack. Uh, Remy Martin, Zylan Cheatham, um, Rob Edwards off the bench, who scored 15 and was very efficient, hit three threes. Um, and so you got I guess, they basically... May, um, contained everyone on Kansas except for Diedrich Lawson, kind of the uh, Duke versus Jarrett Culver approach uh, defensively by Bobby Hurley, a former Duke player. Um, so credit to them. I, maybe, I guess, Arizona State's the best team in the Pac-12. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um because the Pac-12 stinks. But maybe this is the year where the Sun Devils can win the Pac-12
1: title. It's a huge win um, for them if, if they don't win the Pac-12 title for their resume, because they don't really have that many other opportunities to bag any big wins, because they're pretty much done with their non-conference schedule. They have Princeton left, and that's it. And so they really, when they put out their schedule, their two chances to get a good win would be Nevada and Kansas, and they got one of them. So now they just have to not... They have to hold their own through the Pac 12 and probably go, probably haven't you played 18 games? They probably got go to go at least 13 of 5, 12, maybe 12 and 6 to be a bubble team, you would think.
0: Yeah, 12 and 6 to put them at 22 and 8, assuming they beat Princeton. Um, and uh, they did also beat Utah State Mississippi State earlier this season in that tournament in Las Vegas over, Thanks, I guess it was just before Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, Mississippi.
1: Um, I missed the Mississippi State game. Yeah. That's a good yeah. win. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, they finished the season actually at Oregon, at Oregon State, and at Arizona, which are all listed as A games by Ken Palm, which just means they're top fifty games if you adjust for the quality of the comp for the for the venue. Uh, I'm not sure if Oregon State will be that by the end of the year, but at Oregon, at Arizona will be tricky. There are no teams in the Pac-12, and again, I guess we'll get this. We're getting into it now, but we'll talk about it a little bit later. There are no teams in the Pac-12 in the Kenpom top forty. Um, one thing I wanted to note with Kansas before moving on, we have a little bit more Big 12 to discuss. Uh, they they did beat Villanova in a kind of a weird game um, a week earlier. Uh, that was Villanova's first Big 5 loss. Uh, sorry, uh, that's not uh, that's a different game. <laughs> Kansas beat Villanova by three, and on December 15th, um, Villanova has a bunch of losses. They had previously also lost uh, a Big 5 game to Penn um, the previous Tuesday. Um, uh, Javon Quinterly, we talked about some um he has uh not played very much he's a five-star freshman point guard he um apparently um i, I think he posted something on instagram i seem to be complaining about maybe his playing time and uh then he said he was hacked and then he said actually no i wasn't hacked because why would someone hack Javon Quinterly's uh, Instagram in order to post something negative about how he's not playing and how he's unhappy at Villanova? But I guess it's bound to happen um, when you have a five-star recruit and you lost uh, you basically your five leading scorers or four, five of your top six scorers in the previous year uh, and you're still not playing um, for your five to- top five scorers um, and you're not winning, you know, your, to- your, your five-star freshman is going to be um, frustrated. But um, nonetheless, Villanova... They lose that game to kansas they've since blown out uconn in the game against kansas javon quinterly played zero
1: minutes yeah quinterly posted on instagram after uh the loss to Penn. he said was my second choice for a reason on his instagram story then he quickly deleted <laughs> quickly deleted it. very specific hack by the hacker uh and deleted it then he issued an apology And, of course, uh, Quinterly was originally going to go to Arizona, and then after that whole FBI thing came up, he ended up committing to Villanova, and he's obviously uh, struggled to make an impact, as uh, this article points out. But, yes, uh, the uh, second choice for a reason. (laughs) It's a pretty good good, uh, post there, yeah.
0: Yeah, so as a quick Big East aside, uh, we're talking about Kansas because Kansas played Villanova. But in the Big Twelve, uh, I mentioned a couple more things. Um, one team that's up, Oklahoma. They've, it, since we last met, they've beaten USC by 11, Creighton by 13, Northwestern in overtime. Um, and then on the negative side, West Virginia, since we have last uh, spoke, lost to the University of Rhode Island on, in Uncasville, Connecticut, by 13 and barely beat Jacksonville by two. Um, Oklahoma's really had a much improved defense this year um, with Trey Young having left. West Virginia, without Javon Carter, is having major problems with turnovers. Do you have any thoughts on those two or a larger kind of Big 12 thoughts as you are, uh, you know, my my personal go-to Big 12 expert besides Fran Fischella?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Big 12 is... Obviously, Kansas, Texas Tech are the two best teams in the conference, and then you have a bunch of teams who we're still getting a read on. Kansas State, Dean Wade is injured. Uh, West Virginia, though, has been obviously the biggest disappointment of the season so far. Already four losses, not all of them good. They haven't looked good in some of their wins either. They lost to Buffalo at home. They lost to Western Kentucky on a neutral. That's not great. Um, and their defense is actually less efficient than their offense right now. They're 58th in defensive. Uh, sorry. It's, uh, yeah, they're 58. Yeah, exactly. 58th in defensive efficiency and 52nd in offensive efficiency, which is not really a, uh, a, uh rest, a, a, a huggy bear, um, trend. Usually it's the other way around and their turnover. They're just not forcing turnovers on defense like they usually are. And the press Virginia just not quite working without Carter as you've been all over all year, Brennan. So I would be definitely worried about West Virginia about to enter the teeth of the big 12 schedule. I would definitely be worried about them in the tournament, uh, this year.
0: Yeah, um, and then with Oklahoma, we've seen uh, Christian James has been really, really good for them. Got you know he had been there before Trey Young, and then when Trey Young was there, he uh, took a back seat. You know, like you know, that's it for a good reason. But now uh, he's back in the driver's seat, um, scoring a lot um, and hitting a lot of a lot of two pointers for a guy who's not uh, not very tall. Um, at six four, he. Um, recently, at least, he scored uh, 12 um, with eight with nine rebounds uh, against uh, Northwestern, and then he, he had 14 against Creighton, 16 against USC, 14 against Wichita State, 25 against Notre Dame. I would just say it's a pretty tough schedule that uh, Long Krueger's. Oh, definitely, uh, thrown it's out one there. of
1: the best in the country, yeah. and they're 11 and one, and it's not a paper 11 and one. They're not like St. John's; like they've played some real teams out there. So uh, credit to them and credit to shade to Chris Mullen there. Uh, and, yeah. Well we know you you th- know we know you also have a high opinion of Chris Mullen. So um, yeah. I think that uh, I think that they are gonna be a very dangerous team and Kansas I believe opens their Big Twelve schedule against them at home. Uh, so that'll be a good uh, good tip off to the Big Twelve schedule.
0: Yeah, and Oakland was last game against Northwestern. We're gonna move into talking about a few Big Ten teams here. Uh, the Wildcats have really um, had a difficult time in close games this year. Uh, they ha- are, are now down to eight and four, despite um, having a Ken rating in the low to mid forties. In this game, they, uh, they led late. Um, you know, they, they led and uh, I think had the ball and they seen hit some free throws um, and they weren't able to hold on. It was never a huge lead, but, uh, but they did have a uh, late leads. You um, aj um ryan taylor's a 96 free throw shooter um and he missed his first free throw of the year against oh no he hit his free throws but they had some problems on the stretch knocking down free throws um they went five for nine in the game well they only had nine free throws maybe that's a bigger problem than just the ability the <laughs> to make down the stretch um so if you look at northwestern's uh, record they have an overtime loss to oklahoma two-point loss at home to Michigan, a two-point loss at Indiana, um, and that's all in their last five games. Uh, beyond those five, they've, they've won their other two games uh, against Chicago teams, DePaul and Chicago State. Um, they now have no quality wins out of conference because a neutral win against Utah is not a good win. A home win against Georgia Tech is not a good win. And they have no more chances for non-conference wins, so it's it's going to be a tough road and a very difficult Big Ten if Northwestern is going to get back in the NCAA tournament, despite seemingly having a team that is good enough to do so. Just the uh, the close results have not gone uh, Chris Collins' team's way.
1: No, they haven't.
0: They play. They do play Columbia next. So
1: uh, yeah, that yeah, should yeah, be a, probably a win. Uh, sh- shouts to Dave Kalin if he's watching. Hello, he always likes to talk me about those uh, those games. So we'll uh, see what happens. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's nothing like punching down a Northwestern basketball fan at Columbia. Um, a couple other things that have happened: in the Big Ten. Uh, Indiana's gotten a bunch of close wins. Um, they've won since the Duke blowout. Uh, they've won four games by a combined eight points. Duke blowout loss in the Big Ten AC Challenge. They beat Northwestern as you mentioned by two, Penn State by two, Louisville by one, and Butler by three. The Butler win was part of uh, a doubleheader at. Um, Banker's Life Fieldhouse, I believe it's called now. Yes, that's correct. In Seiko Fieldhouse, Um, they won the Butler game. It was tied, and Rob Fantasy to three-pointer from 30 feet out to win that game. Uh, and then most more recently, Jawan Morgan had triple-double, the first, I believe, since Bob Knight was the coach uh, in Indiana's win against Jacksonville. Uh, Indiana's kind of in the opposite spot. They're a better team than Northwestern, but they're also in the opposite spot Northwestern winning those close games, and they're not only to make the tournament but to get a pretty good seed because they have these uh, quality wins, especially over the last couple of
1: weeks. Yeah, I watched most of that Butler game. There was a very good comeback. For, uh, the last possession was a disaster. They were very lucky to get that three, but it was a very good comeback. They trailed uh, pretty much the entire game. And came back really well to uh, to get in a position. Uh, there they trailed 61-52 with nine minutes to go in the second half. So uh, credit to them. Finney's shot. Um, he was very calm after the shot too. Uh, CBS's Ali LaForce asked him if it was his biggest shot of his career. He said so far. Just seemed very calm about the whole thing. Uh, so I give him credit. I don't think Archie Miller was too happy with how that possession went, but obviously happy with the result. But I think afterward he talked to the news conference. He was you know giving the coach. Well, we can't be. We can't have to run a better play than that, or get to execute better than that. But he he made the shot, so credit to him. And yeah, they're going to be a dangerous team in the Big Ten, and they've gotten these results. They had some. We talked about the Arkansas game when that happened. They've had some bad close uh, performances in close games, so it's good for them that they were able to pull it off. And Juwan Morgan, who tw- appeared to twist his ankle in the Northwestern game, and uh, earlier in December Uh, is playing great. So obviously he's healthy and that's really huge for them because everyone talks about Romeo Langford, but it's probably John Morgan who's going to carry this team for large stretches, the senior, um, as they go into the Big Ten season.
0: And in terms of um, kind of like the luck stat on Ken Palm, which mean usually means winning close games and losing blowouts. Indiana is only like the third "quote unquote" luckiest team in the Big Ten behind Iowa and Minnesota. So it's not like they've been exceedingly uh, fortunate this year. Um, if you look at a team like Minnesota and their close games, um, their their losses were by a combined 32 points, and then they have a two point win over Washington, a five point win over A and M. Um, they also have a, a close wins over some pretty mediocre teams in in uh, North Florida by nine and um, Anyway, and they, they beat Nebraska. So it's not a bad team, but um, anyway, uh, Purdue the same doubleheader. Purdue lost Notre Dame by eight. Uh, unfortunately for Notre Dame now, Rex Flugler is out for this season. Um, he's uh, that, he didn't he played thirty minutes in that game and was and was great. Um, he had ten assists and one turnover with two steals. Um, but now he uh, he got injured, didn't play against Binghamton or Jacksonville, and is out for the season. Um, and meanwhile, Purdue, uh, despite having kind of an interesting start of the season, one of the best players in the country, they're actually now 7-5, and five, uh, and their, own, their best wins of the season were by 2 at home to Maryland, and by uh, 21 on neutral court to Davidson, they've lost all four of their quote-unquote A games, which are the equivalent of top 50 games this year, neutral to Virginia Tech, Florida State on the road, Michigan on the road, uh, Texas on the road, uh, along with the loss to Notre Dame. I eight on the fifteenth. Do, do are we are we worried about Purdue and Carson Edwards making the NCAA tournament at this point?
1: Uh, could be a little worried. You never know with going into this season, uh, how, into conference play, like the real conference play, how they're going to handle. It. Since they really don't have a g- good win this season, uh, you don't know how it's going to shake out. Carson Edwards has been really, uh, he's gone. He scored a lot, but he's been up and down with his consistency. And um, so it's tricky to um, it's tricky to say what's going to happen. Uh, with him there, but he's, he's scored 30, 27, 40, 20, 19, 24, 19, 26 his last uh, whatever games that is. So he's been obviously scoring, but it's just a little up and down. But with Ohio State being good and all sorts of other teams in the Big Ten that we didn't think would be good being good, Penn State, Nebraska's been up and down. Like, there's not not every team from the Big Ten's going to make the tournament. So uh, I would not say they're a lock to get it. Yeah, Purdue's projected to go
0: 18 and 13 overall, 11 and 9 in conference. Um, which seems something a bubble to me. That's like a very bubbly record. It'll be a very difficult schedule. Right now they have the 10th overall most difficult schedule in the country. Um, you know, obviously their two, not, their two conference games were at Michigan and home against Maryland. So um, that makes their schedule a little bit more difficult. But even their non-conference schedule is the 32nd most difficult in the country. Um, yeah, so the Big Ten, we talked about them. Um, briefly, before we get into the Big East and Pac-12, we will talk about Houston a little bit. Houston is one of those undefeated teams that's left that hasn't been talked about very much. Um, but since we last spoke, they beat, they beat LSU, they beat St. Louis, they beat Utah State. They now have um, two uh, Ken Palm A wins and three Ken Palm B wins uh, and no losses. Um, and they have one more non-conference game, against NJIT, before they get into the, uh, the AAC schedule. AAC is okay this year, not good, not bad. Um, any thoughts on Kelvin Sampson's group and when they might lose their first game?
1: Uh, hmm. They do have a pretty soft schedule coming up. Uh, they're, when's their, their only projected loss the rest of the year, or two projected losses, is the UCF on February 7th. That's away. And then also at Cincinnati, the last game of the year. Those are their only two projected losses the rest of the way. So Samson's been great. They didn't have, who was it, Rob Gray, who played there last year. He, he graduated. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's brought some... New players moved them in seamlessly. He's not played it. To, they have some. They have some good wins. It's not like it's a total cakewalk of a schedule. So I don't know. It's a good question. Could they be the last unbeaten in the country? I definitely think that's possible. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. That they've been kind of the opposite of Kentucky this year defensively a little bit. They're fifth in three-point defense, twenty-five point three. That might regress a little bit. Um, they have had some close wins, six points over LSU at home, four points over St. Louis at home, four points over Oregon at home. Um, and they do have a couple of toss-up-y kind of games coming up at Temple January 9th and at SMU a week later, uh, January 16th. Um, but yeah, it looks like a good chance that they can go 15-0 at least, NJIT, Tulsa, and Memphis, and they'd be 15-0 and at Temple. Um, like a pretty, a decent Temple team. Uh, certainly, a, a game that they could could definitely win. There's no reason why they couldn't win at Temple, but they they could also lose that. Uh, it looks like. I do wonder this whether this will be a team with a weird resume and what sort of seed they might get when it all uh, gets played out. They say that they were to go as Kenbaum has them 13 and five, um, say 20 26 and five, um, and go to the say the finals of the AAC tournament. Mm-hmm. Would they get a Potential three seed or something like that, or, or are they going to get like some kind of like six or seven seed? Um,
1: yeah, the only other unbeatens are St. John's, uh, Nevada, Michigan, and Virginia right now. So you figure uh-huh. Michigan, Big Ten, Virginia, ACC—they will have some tough games before February seventh. So I think it's possible they are the last unbeaten, which would be kind of crazy. Uh, I don't yeah, know. it's Here Nevada. That.
0: That's that's the that's the team yeah. that is a little bit tricky because the <laughs> they're twelve and zero um they have had a lot of close games recently actually they um they started the season with blowouts after blowout their first through the Loyola game actually through the usc game every game they'd won had been by double figures and every game since then that they've won has been by single digits they've won by six over arizona state by eight over grand canyon by four over south dakota state and by six over akron um so they're not playing quite as efficiently the last few games. They've dropped from fourth to eighth in Ken Palm despite um, three straight wins, which shows you that their efficiency and their um, their kind of margin of victory has not been as impressive. Um, you look at their schedule and January twelfth, they play at Fresno State. That's probably the next losable game they have on their schedule. Although if you can if you play Akron and win by six at home, then maybe there's a lot more losable on your schedule. Yeah. but um, they have Who's your biggie? You're going Nevada as the last one to be? Uh, yeah, I think or you want to go. I'll go.
1: Uh, I'll go Nevada. Okay. But yeah, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. Let's talk about the Big East Friday night. Uh, it hasn't been a great season for the Big East so far, but on Friday they got a couple good wins. Marquette uh, ended Buffalo's undefeated season. Marcus Howard had 45 points, which uh, tied his career high in regulation, and um, he had more than 50 points in an overtime win over Providence last year, which was. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. Um, And uh, the same night, uh, Friday night, Providence, um, in what was a fun first half, but ended up being kind of ugly second half, um, they defeated Texas at Texas, which uh, had to surprise a lot of people, despite Providence not having having its best freshman. A.J. Reeves is still out with that foot injury. Um, Any thoughts on either of these two performances by the Big East in a season that has not been its best?
1: Well, I think obviously Marquette is shaping up as a bona fide... uh... Champion, a uh, championship contender. Just to give you an idea, uh, he scored. Marcus Howard scored forty points in the second half of that game. So forty of his forty-five were in the second half, which is insane. Only thirteen, sorry, only nineteen players have scored forty points in a game this season, and he scored forty points in the second half. Uh, do you happen to know who's who has the high game in the NCAA this season? By the way,
0: who has the high game? Yeah, it was a guy who made 15 threes for Furman in a non-division one game. Yeah,
1: that's the one. Uh, yep, Jordan Lyons. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so that was amazing, and uh, he's obviously really good, and Buffalo is no slouch. It's kind of – I'm kind of hoping that Buffalo uh, wins the MAC to make sure they make it in the m a tournament. Um, so I'm excited to watch them. But Mar- Marquette could be the, uh, the Big East uh, champion this year, given Villanova's struggles. And Providence, it's nice to see them bounce back. I know we don't really want to talk about the uh, UMass game, which uh, – I almost ended up watching with you, Very but unpleasant. I did not end up doing that, luckily. But at least they bounced back with three straight wins, including a win in a true road game at Texas, which is really nice. Kind of cancels that. Almost cancels that out from a resume perspective. And um, yeah. uh, just it's better to see. How's their backcourt health right now?
0: Well, um, A.J. Reese was there uh, at the game, but he did not uh, he did not play. He was still had crutches. Um, it's interesting because he talked all year. Um, about Makai ashton Langford and David Duke, their point guard combo. Uh, in this game, David Duke was in foul trouble a lot. Makai ashton Langford played significant minutes, and he has the last few games. Um, he played 19 minutes. It, you know, he's last year he was a high possession guy, constantly shooting and turning it over. This year he still has turned over a bunch, but he's shooting less. He's distributing more. In this game, he was kind of a caretaker um, on offense. Uh, they were really working through uh, Malik White, the uh, junior. Uh, kind of combo guard, and Alpha Diallo, who's um, an all-Big East quali- caliber player, um, who was, the again, the MVP, the Kenpon MVP. He's, he's been MVP of uh, Providence games six times this year. He had 20 points, even though he only scored two points in the first 15 minutes of the game um, and got to the line, uh, sealing the game off of late with, uh, with a lot of free throws. Um, but what happened was Duke got his fourth foul about nine minutes to go. And at that point, it was a fairly close game. You know, Duke, uh, Providence had been leading pretty much the whole game, but it was, these were narrow margins. And, um, I think the score was something like 55, 50 with about 10 minutes left. And, um, McKay played the, play the rest of the game. He was fine. His defense was quite good. Um, uh, Providence's defense in this whole game, just except for a few Courtney Ramey um, breakouts in the first half, um, and then no one seems to be able to guard Jackson Hayes, um, who was 6-for-6 six six in the game. I think he's made his last 20 field goals for Texas. Um, but he got in foul trouble and ended up fouling out. He got a really big uh, technical foul at one point for taunting Mackay ashton Langford, uh, So that was big uh for the Friars but um but yeah so i think yeah, Texas is a weird team uh they are very inconsistent. Their offense is really out of sync. They had, I mean, Providence plays a pretty tough style of defense and, and makes you do things you don't want to do. So I give them credit for that. But the Texas offense is just kind of a mess. And then defensively, um, Texas played I thought pretty well, especially the second half. Forced a bunch of turnovers in that half. But the Friars, without really a, a point guard or a lead guard like they've had in the past, you know, you think of Chris Dunn and Kyron Cartwright and Bryce Cotton. They don't have, or even Vincent Council, they don't really have that guy right now. And so they're running a little more flex. They're trying to get um, the ball down the post to p- players like Alpha Diallo. Uh, Isaiah Jackson had a big game, the transfer from George Mason. He's been at Providence for three years now. I don't know why for his transfer status. but um, And so that was a big win for the Friars. And I think that right now they would probably be in the NCAA tournament um, if you're starting to to get a field right now in the Big East. You'd see Marquette would be in. Uh, and Providence would be in, um, and probably Seton Hall. They, Seton Hall knocked off Maryland uh, just, I think, Sunday or Saturday um, on the road. Kind of a surprising result there, and they have obviously had that win against Kentucky, and they won the, um, the wooden legacy. Uh, jumping back to Marquette briefly, um, Marcus Howard's a guy that uh, obviously has, has hurt Providence, and but I haven't been a huge fan of his. I felt like his defense was not very good, and basically all he could do was score. But a couple things on that. One, he is an exceptional scorer. There's like, he's like a Trey Young, quack caliber um, scorer. Um, he's shooting 40% from three, 45% from two, despite the fact that he's only 5'10", 5'11", and 91% on free throws. He's assisting and um, getting more assists this year than he ever has because of uh, Andrew Rousey being gone. And what we've also seen, and this is probably the biggest change, It was with the two small guards last year, Rousey and Howard. Marquette's defense the last two years have been terrible. This year it's passable. They're 50th in the country, and a lot of that is Rousey being gone, addition by subtraction. But some of that is also um, Marcus Howard stepping up a little bit on defense. And so I think he right now he's eighth in the uh, Ken Palm Player of the Year standings, um, and the top guy in the Big East, and clearly the front runner uh, for Big East Player of the Year at this point.
1: Yeah, he's been amazing. He's so involved with their, or so much their offense goes through him. Uh, and he obviously for him scored 40 points in the second half, where his team scored uh, 54 is pretty crazy. So no, sorry, 64, 64. But still, they scored 103 points in the game. He he, he played not great defense by Buffalo. He, he played so. a, he played a big role in that game. Uh, so credit to him, and uh, we'll see how Marquette. Who do they they open up against a decent. They have a decently tough start to their Big East schedule, I believe. They have uh, St. John's and away and then Xavier at home, So and then they're at Creighton, so two of their first three are, and then Seton All at home, so, yeah, a little bit tricky. Yeah, the Big East is weird. Um, you know, it seems like Georgetown is not
0: good, despite some reports contrary, and DePaul looks also still not good. Um, Xavier has had some really rough losses. They They lost at Missouri by 15, at Cincinnati by 15. Um, and they haven't beaten anyone good this year, um, so they probably are the third worst team in the Big East. Um, those others, I mean, they could, they could still beat some teams, um, obviously, but the other seven look pretty balanced, with maybe Marquette or Villanova being the best of the group, um, and then uh, who knows who's the worst? I mean, Saint John's hasn't lost yet, so they're ranked 51 in Ken Palm, but they haven't lost yet. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's move on to um, a conference that that is. Uh, the Biggies might be the fifth best conference this year, but clearly the sixth best conference is the Pac twelve and it's and it's really bad. Um, you know, just here's a few results we've seen over the last uh, couple weeks. <laughs> and this is just from the, the good yeah,
1: teams. That's a good list. I'm I'm looking forward yeah. to this.
0: Yeah, the, these are like disposed of good teams in the conference. So we saw Baylor beat uh, Oregon in a battle of teams that lost Texas Southern today. Uh, the consolation bracket of the Texas Southern uh, Tournament. Uh, Bowl Bowl didn't play. Oregon lost by 10. That was the game that preceded Providence, Texas on ESPN, whatever, one of the ESPNs. Uh, UCLA has had three losses uh, of late. They lost uh, by 29 to Cincinnati, by 14 to to, uh, Ohio State, and then to Belmont at home. Uh, They lost on a play that was called Panic, where Belmont intentionally appeared to um, be out of sorts, so that maybe UCLA let its guard down, and, but they were intending to sh- to give that message and then ran a backdoor and, and won, very much like um, the layup that Princeton made to beat the uh, defending national champion UCLA team in 96. Um, I saw Belmont play Providence the day before Thanksgiving last year. It wasn't quite the same play, but they basically did a, um, a pass over the top um, to one of um, – pro- uh, Belmont's players, where Providence had no one on the back door or at the at the rim, and made that shot to go up by one over Providence with about four seconds left. Um, and it was almost a very devastating loss for the Friars, but then Kyron Carr went coast-to-coast coast and hit a ridiculous three-pointer to win it. Um, so Belmont's a team that is good now and will be keep getting better because they're actually still quite young. Virginia Tech, moving on to other losses in the Pac-12, beat Washington by 12, you know, not a terrible loss, but this is Washington supposed to be one of your better teams. Maybe the, I think, preseason they were picked first or second um, in the Pac-12. Arizona also lost to Baylor at home by nine. I mean, Baylor's clearly playing better now than they were earlier in the season. Now that Makai Mason is back, but um, still not a great loss at home. And then Colorado, who, you know, I've been looking a little bit at the KPI uh, index, and so KPI is a good place to go to kind of get a sense of where teams like how their quality wins and losses kind of fit together. Um, It's, it's not a a perfect proxy for how the bubble tends to work or at large rankings work, but it's not bad. Um, Not bad. Colorado actually had, yes, not bad. Um, And Colorado actually was one of the highest ranked um, PAC 12 teams, but then they are playing this tournament in Hawaii. And the first two games, they lost to Indiana state and they lost to Hawaii. Both games, Colorado's favorite to win. Um, and so we actually talked about Arizona State has had a pretty good start to the season and just beat Kansas, but uh, will the Pac-12 get more than one NCAA
1: tournament team this year? Uh, I'll say yes. I'll say Oregon will get it and Arizona State will get it. I just don't see where the other teams, coming from Steve Alford's going to get fired at the end of the year, it seems like at UCLA, which is interesting. I know UCLA is a, you know, a true elite program, but look at what he's done at UCLA look what Shaka Smart's done at Texas. They're both big time, Brand names, and one is like one fan base is apoplectic, and the other fan base is just like yeah, like and Steve Alford's no Steve Alford's resume at UCLA is way better than Shaka Smart's at Texas. Texas, Shaka Smart has not won an NCAA tournament game at Texas, if I'm not mistaken. And Steve Alford's made the Sweet 16 what four times? It just seems weird. I understand that UCLA is you know you have a lot more advantages there, and the fan base is a lot more rabid, but it's a little strange. Uh, and yeah, I just don't see where this other team's gonna come from. The rest of the, obviously no one, Oregon State, unless they win the conference tournament, aren't gonna get in. And the, I mean, the uh, back 12 is in a situation where if the wrong team wins the conference tournament, it could deny Arizona State or Oregon uh, the, the the at-large berth. So yes, I think it'll be two. Um, just because I don't see, it would be weird if it's one. And I think they'll get two. And Arizona State's beating Kansas certainly helps their cause. And Oregon. What's their best win this year? Their best win is against Syracuse Syracuse, right now. Yeah, I actually feel more... Yeah, if you look at... I mean, the best bet for them would have Oregon win the conference tournament, probably, and then Arizona State get the at-large.
0: Yeah, I think um, if you look at the the new KPI rankings currently, um, and again, this is kind of a good proxy for where teams would fit in the bubble picture. It's not perfect, again, but... Uh, Arizona State's number ten in the country, so they're looking actually really solid. Um, and then Arizona's forty-eight, Washington's forty-nine, UCLA sixty-two, Colorado seventy-five, Oregon State's eighty-seven, and Oregon is one hundred eight. Um, and then you have Stanford, uh, Utah, USC, Cal, and Washington State, and then them are in the top 130. Uh, so that would basically, if you think about it, usually they about the top 50 get in, if you, like, and then you have your automatic um, one-bid leagues. So that would put Arizona State looking pretty good, and then Arizona and Washington on the bubble with teams like Oregon uh, having a lot of work to do um, in conference play. Oregon, of course, has that Texas Southern loss, which uh, looks worse and worse. Now they have the Baylor loss. They lost to Iowa, uh, and they lost at Houston, which is obviously not a very bad loss. But um, I mean, Bol, Bol has missed some time; he's missed three games uh, in the last three games. Um, and uh, Lewis King, who's there, one of their other top freshmen, he he missed their first seven games, so they've only played two games with uh, both Bol Bol and Lewis King. Um, uh, those two games they won, uh, they played San Diego 1 by 10, and nebraska Omaha 1 by 23, not anything really that exciting. But, uh, yeah, Oregon is, uh, I don't know, we'll see.
1: Yeah, it's not a good-looking conference. not really something that makes you want to stay up late at night and watch college basketball, ten, those ten thirty tips. Unless you got Dave Pass and Bill Walton there.
0: Yeah, a couple other things. we we'll just run through some kind of notes. Um, December 11th is something I learned on the Ken Palm Podcast. Uh, what, it, what it lacks in, like, high-quality production, it gets back in, <laughs> in, in in amount of Ken Palmness it has. Um, December 11th uh, was the highest-scoring day of basketball uh, with at least 10 games in, like, the Ken Palm era, which is basically the last 20 years. Uh, on that day, we had, um, let's see, we had a 90-87 Denver win. That was an overtime. We had South Dakota State beat Savannah State 139-72, um and there was another one. It was actually it wasn't the highest scoring game of the day. There was uh an, oh, Louisiana Tech ninety six, Mississippi Valley State eighty. Um Maryland scored ninety four. I think the average number of points scored that day was like seventy nine or something like that per de- per team. Um Louisiana Tech, 96. Mississippi Valley State, 80. I might already said that. But um, yeah, so I guess the overall point is that scoring is, is up in college basketball or generally over the last few years, the, the trend has been for more offense. And um, and this we saw this in kind of a small sample on a single day uh, that probably since the mid-90s, which, which Ken Pomeroy says it was a, also a high scoring area of college basketball probably the highest scoring day. Um, a few other notes, and then you, I want to hear your thoughts. We had uh, Penny Hardaway talking trash at Rick Barnes after Tennessee beat Memphis, which was weird. Um, Penny Hardaway seemed to be very upset about that. Quad a Green, the guard at Kentucky, announced he was transferring and then announced he was transferring to Washington. So he should be joining mid-year next year. We mentioned Dean Wade's injury; is out indefinitely. He got injured at Georgia State on the fifteenth, and then um, very recently, the Mountain West and Atlantic Ten announced a challenge. It's not going to start next year; it's going to start the following year. But it's one of the—it's a chance for some a couple of really good mid-major leagues to um, get some non-conference games on their home court. Uh, anything in those five notes, four or five notes that you want to address?
1: Uh, let's talk Penny Hardaway. Seems to like he operates with no filter, which is a little bit refreshing and can be a little bit. Uh, it's good for I guess it's good for his program. If you as you know, Gary Parrish is from Memphis and he loves to talk about Penny Hardaway and all things Memphis. Uh, we talked about flopping earlier in the show and the Memphis team may have been flopping a little bit. Rick Barnes basically called him out on it and Penny Hardaway said, No, 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 that's not true and then there was a near not a near fight in the game between Tennessee and Memphis, but the tempers were flared and so they went back and forth several times. I think at some point you just got to stop talking. But it's great theater for the coaches to have Penny Hardaway say, get the blank out of here about Rick Barnes. So it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you what's funny about college coaches, and I, I mean, people have noticed this about Penny Hardaway, is that they all talk in the same way, basically. Like all coaches say the thing. That's a great program over there. You know, they're... He's doing a great job over there. Those are great kids, all that stuff. But Penny Hardaway does not say that kind of thing. So it is refreshing.
0: If everyone said it, would get it. I, I I think he did punctuate his comment with like, oh, he's a legend. <laughs> he was like, he just ripped, he ripped Rick Barnes for like five minutes and then
1: oh, yeah, no. uh, I think it's yeah, – it it yeah, yeah, I got it here. He's like, do you have a relationship with – did you have a relationship with Barnes before? No, don't need one. Never have. Don't need one. He's good. He's a legend, legendary coach in this game. Now I'm sure the intention <laughs> wasn't like that, but you just read the quote. It's like, what do you? So like, yeah. By the way, he's a great coach. Yeah, and a legend. Yeah. So he's freaky. Even then, even Penny Hardaway, you can't get into coach speak. Did get in? The, he's a great coach. Yeah. So.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. I don't think need to really spend any more time on the Mountain West A10 Challenge. We can discuss in like episode whatever 100 and. 47 yeah. of the, uh, double bonus podcast, uh, which you can follow. I think we mentioned this. You can follow us on Twitter, double bonus pod, DoubleBonusPod.com is our website. If you've gotten to the 59 minute mark of the podcast, um, maybe now's the time to follow us on Twitter and rate and review, subscribe on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google play music, um, etc etc uh, but let's look ahead tom what, what do you what's what's coming up in the next week of college basketball what do you got for
1: well, this? we got no games coming up really of consequence the next uh few days as we celebrate christmas uh the next real big game is kentucky at louisville the uh one of the great non-conference rivalry games of the year last year was a bloodbath Kentucky destroyed them ninety to sixty one. This is a better Louisville team. Kentucky's just finding its stride after beating Carolina. They're favored by one in Ken Palm spread at Louisville. What do you think about this game?
0: I think it's going to be an interesting game. Um, uh, Louisville is right now in very good shape to make the NCAA tournament, um, but they're playing a little, maybe a little bit above their heads. They're thirty eighth in Ken Palm, but in um, in KPI, let me get this up. I was looking at it the other day. Uh, they're 17th. Um, they had that good win against Seton Hall on the road, um, and what they're they're getting is uh, is surprisingly good offense from guys like Jordan Mora, uh, Ryan McMahon. The the point guard has been really good. Um, I'm I'm actually gonna go with Louisville. Uh, it's at home. It, we have Kentucky favored by one. It's not really a meaningful spread because of the, how small it is, but. Um, you know, Kentucky coming off the big win, you feel like maybe might be a slight letdown spot. They think they're a much better team in Louisville. Of course, going on the road at Louisville, the fans are probably going to get you pretty pumped up. So I, I don't think there's going to be too much of a, of a look ahead spot or, or like a letdown from the previous game. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take Louisville to cover the one point spread and win um, Chris Mack's first uh, battle of the Bluegrass State.
1: Yeah, I like Kentucky. I think uh, Calipari has owned this rivalry. Uh, he gets his guys up for it. And I do think it will be a close game, but I think Kentucky will win this one. Uh, the next one we got is Florida hosting Butler in a random Big East SEC game. That's also on Saturday. Uh, Florida lost to Michigan State recently. What have they done since? I forget. But they have, uh, and Butler had that bad loss, obviously, to Indiana a couple weeks ago. Florida, since that game, yeah. has beaten Mercer in Florida Gulf Coast. Um, and they have, this is their last game before the SEC season tips off for them. So they've kind of underachieved. I think they've been a little a bit disappointing this year. Under Mike White, obviously we talked last show about um, Jalen Hudson just vanishing off the face of the earth. Um, so we'll see. This will be an interesting one down there in Florida.
0: Yeah, Butler is actually the second highest ranked team in, in Ken Palm ratings at 29. Um which is interesting because they don't. They had the one. They actually already beat Florida this year, which is the weird thing. They played in the Battle of Atlantis, um, and they won by seven. It's a very strange thing that they scheduled this game when they were. I guess maybe it was ahead of, before they had the Battle of Atlantis. Uh, teams. I think it's always a weird thing when two two teams play twice in non-conference. That
1: is it is strange. Maybe playing. just figure out like a way to yeah. do it where, if they play. Yeah, I guess there's no way to do it really cuz you got you have to book the non-conference games ahead of time.
0: Yeah, Kamar Baldwin is obviously Butler's best player, but he has not had a very efficient season. He's only shooting 28% on three-pointers. Uh, last year he was 33, the previous year is 37. His his O-rating is down to 100 despite the high possessions. You know, I think he needs to... again, I think how he goes is how um, how his team will go against um, Indiana, he scored 16 points, but he was only 7 for 19 from the field, and he only got the free-throw line once. Um, So that's a weird thing about Ball. Baldwin. For a guy who takes a lot of two-pointers, he doesn't get to the line very much. Uh, I'm not sure where I'm going with my just general Butler commentary, but I'm going to pick Florida um, to cover the four-point spread. I'm a little bit skeptical about about Butler. I don't even know why, but I think that their 29th ranking seems a little bit off to me. Um, they did beat Florida already, but I'm going to say that uh, Florida gets back at home.
1: No one beats Florida twice in non conference play in the same season. So I'll go with Butler. Uh, so I'll go with uh, Florida as well. Oh, you're, you're going to Florida? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the next game we got this is a big, interesting Big East opener. Seton Hall has looked very good, has some big wins against St. John's, who's looked very good and had no big wins. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what do you think? And by the way, this, is, uh, this game is on. Saturday also, and it all is a three-point Ken Palm favorite at home.
0: Yeah, Saint John's has played the 344th toughest, which is to say the 10th easiest non-conference schedule of the season. They've only played one um, game that would be equivalent to a top 100 game. That's at Rutgers. They've also played a semi a game in Barclays against VCU, which uh, is carries a semi-home by uh, by Ken Palm, which was the end Saint John's won that game in overtime. Uh, St. John's is a good offensive team. For all the kind of smack we talk about them, um, they don't turn it over. They make their threes, or they make their twos. Um, they don't get their shots blocked. Shamari Ponds is really, really good. He's right next to Marcus Howard, probably in Biggie's Player of the Year, um, and Alfdial Price needs to be on the list somewhere as well. Um, and they have a really good top five guys, top five or six, really. After that, it drops off significantly. Um, there, they have the 11th fewest. Um, bench minutes in the country um, and so uh, you know foul trouble could be an issue um, because it's a team that does actually send its opponents to the foul line fairly often um, they, they're 241st in the country and free throw rate allowed um, Seton Hall is uh, kind of a very different kind of team they, um, they they kind of live and die by the three but they're not actually a great three point shooting team um, you, we saw in their win against um, Kentucky they shot the lights out but then, for instance, against Louisville, um, they only shot three of eighteen. Um, so, and they lost that game at home by five. Uh, this it, is—I I don't really have a great feel for Seton Hall because they've—they've they've played so weirdly. But they have won five in a row, uh, and I—and they just beat Maryland on the road, which is a tough place to win. Uh, I will take Seton Hall to cover the three-point spread and beat uh, Saint John's.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm definitely worried about. St. John's lack of depth and lack of real, really a true test up to this point. Um, so, Seton Hall's obviously been tested, so I'll take them as well. But I'm, this isn't, to me, a very intriguing game, just because you don't know what, how Cedar Hall's going to play. They're kind of like a mishmash team, and we just don't know what St. John's is like at all, like against real teams. So, this will be an interesting one to watch, uh, but I'll take uh, Seton Hall. The next one we got is Providence against Cradle. Brendan has already set his DVR. He'll be flying back to the United States. Uh, for this game, uh, Providence is a three-point favorite at home against Creighton on New Year's Eve. I've actually watched a Providence-Creighton game with you in Providence at a bar once. Mm-hmm. True
0: story. The game, the the game was in Creighton, but
1: yeah. the, we watched the, it the in bar with in Providence. Yes, <laughs> the, the, story, the stories are true. The names were made up. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so Providence is a three-point favorite in Ken Palm at home against the uh, Blue Jays. One word. Yeah, uh,
0: uh, Creighton is. Ranked 39th in Ken Palm, they have the 14th best offense in the country, the second best f- field goal uh, shooting team in the country, fifth in three point shooting. Um, so they're going to try to spread Providence out, not to put on a bunch of threes. Tyshawn Alexander, Davion Mintz, Marcus Zagorowski, Mitch Ballack, Damian Jefferson, all these guys are 40% or better. Uh, Mintz is actually 38% um, at th- a three point shooting. They also have Martin Crample, who um, really hurt Providence in. The game at um, Creighton last year, um, then he got hurt and he missed much of the uh, the and he missed the rest of the season. Um, at the same time, Creighton they seemed to be left a good start. They won that tournament down the Cayman Islands, beating Clemson. Uh, they had a tough late loss at home against Ohio State. And then they played Gonzaga really tough. And so sitting in there on December 1st, we thought maybe Creighton is actually one of the best teams in the Big East. Uh, but since then, they lost by 19 at, at a good Nebraska team, and they lost by 13 at a good Oklahoma team. Um, so that means that they're they're winless on the road this year. Um, Providence has played Creighton pretty well over the years. Um he, in, in this game is in Providence. Um, I'm trying to think of the last time Providence lost to Creighton in Providence. Uh, last year, Providence beat Creighton by 14 at home. The previous year, they beat uh, Creighton by – actually lost at home and won on the road. Um, that was the game actually Maurice Watson, uh, I think, got hurt for – well, he got hurt a little bit later, but he uh, – but that was the team that had Maurice Watson and was really good, and then they later played them without Maurice Watson. Um it, I feel like this is a this is again Providence should win. Um, I'm actually what's what's our spread here? Three. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm going to go with Providence. I'm not going to take a team to uh, take Creighton to cover with less than three-point spread. The Friars' defense has been much better of late. Their last three games, actually since the UMass game, they've played uh, much better um, each game, blowing out a couple of lower teams, which they hadn't done all year. They hadn't really blown anyone out. And then the third game, going to Texas and and playing them tough for the whole game and holding on at the end. Again, Texas and Creighton couldn't really be more, more different teams. Creighton spreads you out and shoots you over the floor. Texas kind of bludgeons you inside and then has really athletic guards that um, are inconsistent. Creighton's a good offensive team. Texas is a good defensive team. So it's not really... um anything similar, but uh, but I think you'll try to see the Providence run Creighton off the f- three-point line. Over the years, they played a lot of zone against Creighton, including in the Big East Championship in 2014. Usually, you don't play zone against shooting teams, but Providence has run some weird zones that have tried to eliminate some of Creighton's open three-pointers and force them into tough twos. Uh, so, I'll take Providence to uh, to win this one, um, in a close one, but I guess not
1: as close as three points. Yeah, Cooley has, uh, seems to have uh, McDermott's number. They're nine and four since the reform Big East. These two teams against each other. Providence nine and four against them. Uh, I think there is something to be said for how they get them off the three-point line. Um, so I'll take Providence as well uh, in this game. Uh, moving on. Now we're going to go to uh, one more another Big East game. So we're going to St. John's will play twice before we talk to you again. They're playing at home against Marquette. They're a one-point favorite. This game is at Carney Arena, not at uh, Madison Square Garden. Also, be an interesting matchup. You'll see it's because, as you said, Brendan, a duel of likely uh, top two candidates for Big East Player of the Year. Who you got, St. John's against
0: Marquette? Um, did we already talk about both of the. We yeah, we did, yeah, we did. We
1: did. Earlier. Um,
0: uh, I'm going to take um, St. John's in this game. Last year, St. John's um, won this game uh, behind Shimori Pons. St. John's is better this year. Uh, Marquette's probably is better too. Um, i not sure there's any great point to what, uh, to what I just said, but uh, I said it anyway. Um, in that game, uh, Shimori Pond scored 40, 44 points. Um, I think that's the kind of game we're going to see again. Andrew Rouse actually had 34 points for Marquette in this one. Um, this, is, this is really just going to be a fun game to watch. I'm, I'm hoping they go at each other. Marquette probably has the more diverse offense, but on the road, I feel like maybe the shots won't fall, and I'll take
1: St. John's. Cool, I agree. Actually, no, I'll take Marquette. Mm. I'm gonna take Marquette. Gonna to be too we're, many, we're too many similar seven. picks here. Let's go, let's go with Marquette. Um, by the way, the, just before we get to the last game, the, the pick record so far. We've picked 59 games. Is that right? Uh, 58. 57. 58 games, I think. Let's say I ended up wrong. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I only have 56. Uh, maybe 57 I need to put in your record 50. for uh, your your win against your Carolina. So give yourself another win. Uh, I'm 29, okay. 26, and three. And you are uh 20, one three. Okay, good. Three. Um, yeah. So uh, just the record there. The last game we have Virginia Tech, the top-ranked Ken Palm team. We haven't mentioned today. I think have we mentioned Virginia? Oh, well, we have now.
0: Uh, I mentioned Virginia Tech because they beat. Oh Washington. right, right. Okay, so we mentioned so, them
1: briefly. Wrong on both counts. Anyway, they're ninth in Ken Palm. <laughs> they open their ACC schedule against Notre Dame at home. They're eleven-point Ken Palm favorites. Um, you talked a little about Notre Dame and the injury with Pfluger. Uh What do you think about this game?
0: Uh, 11 points, a lot of points. Um, I I kind of feel like Mike Bray is the, the type of coach in this game. He'll slow it down. He'll run 20 minutes off the clock each possession, keep the game um, low possession. Virginia Tech plays pretty slow anyway. So I could see this game being um, under that 11-point spread because it's like 67-60 Virginia Tech. So I'll take Notre Dame to cover um, but Virginia Tech to
1: win. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. But I'll just be, take, I'll take Virginia Tech just to to keep it going, keep the pace up a little bit more than you think at home in Blacksburg, a place I have been for the record. Uh, what's the tempo in this? Who plays faster? Where is that? Uh, yeah, Virginia Tech are really slow actually, but both teams are pretty slow. Average have, up. They're 233rd from Notre Dame and. Virginia Tech is 256 in average possession length. That's pretty slow. Um, yeah, so we will uh, see. Those And then conference plays underway. Then we have some random, like, SEC Big 12 Challenge games in the middle of January or the end of January. And that's pretty much mm-hmm. all conference basketball the rest of the way, Brendan.
0: One one underrated game I just wanted to point out that people might want to consider keeping half an eye on on, uh, on Saturday is Belmont-Purdue. Uh, it's at Purdue. Purdue's favored by 11 on Ken Palm. It's a 4:30 p.m. start on uh, Fox Sports One. Um, but Belmont again has been really good this year. Um, they beat UCLA. They beat. They won at Lipscomb, which is like whatever. But Lipscomb is actually pretty good. Um, 58th in Ken Palm. They only have one loss. Uh, it's not a good loss. It's at Green Bay. But um, and, and Belmont is the seventh fastest paced team in the country. So we know that Purdue likes to, likes to uh, shoot it with Carson Edwards, although they don't play very fast. So I'm, I'm just saying, keep an eye on this game. It might be fun uh, to head over to Fox Sports 1 Saturday afternoon.
1: Good heads up. Brandon, how many flights do you have to get back home? Is it multiple or is it just one?
0: Just one long flight uh, from uh, Hong Kong. We leave in four, at 4 in the afternoon Hong Kong time in, on New Year's Eve, and we arrive back still on New Year's Eve at 7 p.m. in um, – uh, in New York. Wait, wait, wait.
1: So. so when are you going to celebrate New Year's? Are you going to do it on the plane? Like Hong Kong time? Or are you going to do it... Like, do they have a countdown on the plane? How does this work? Well, uh, my friend
0: Dustin said that he was on a flight uh, on New Year's and that there was no countdown or announcement or anything. But he did notice that some of the um, flight attendants were kind of huddled in the back with uh, some champagne and kind of cheers to each other, which seems a little bit um, rude to me personally. Um, but, uh, I, I will be celebrating it in New York. There's a, a friend invited us over. I don't know how tired we'll be. I still have that Creighton Providence game to watch once I land. And I also have, once I land a Northwestern's bowl game for football, um, as Northwestern alum interests me, they're playing Utah in the something, something, something holiday bowl. Um, and that game starts actually right basically when we, our, our flight lands. So it's a little bit tricky to both. Get the Creighton game in without, and then, but also watch Northwestern without seeing the score of the Creighton game, but then also see our friends. So it's going to be a tricky last uh, five hours of 2018, but we'll be celebrating in um, New York.
1: Cool. Sounds like a. What about yourself? Uh, I'm not flying on New Year's Day. I'm not in Hong Kong right now. Uh, I've have, I have more flights between now and then than that, but um. Where, where are you going to be on New Year's I'll Eve? Be in, uh, New I'll be in New York. I'll be in on the, oh. probably in Astoria. So yeah. 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 It'll be a good time. Okay. Yeah. Uh yeah, that's all I got, Brendan.
0: So we'll probably be back with you um, in about a week on New Year's Day to wrap to recap some of what we've talked about, but also to uh, kind of give a, a broader perspective on our major conferences and how we see things going um, now the conference season will be underway, I think across pretty much every conference by, uh, by January 1st. So join us then, Double bonus podcast at double bonus pod on Twitter DoubleBonusPod.com you can rate review subscribe tell your friends via uh, spotify itunes apple podcast and google play music um yeah and uh you might see uh if you're flying from hong kong to uh new york next to new year's eve uh come over say hi
1: definitely do that chat. yeah brendan will not be rude like the flight attendants he will share new year's toast with you if you come up to him on that flight uh from hong kong to new york brendan do they say happy christmas in hong kong or merry christmas um, I don't know I think
0: uh, I think we say I think any of the Brits say Happy Christmas yeah. did we say Happy Christmas here in Hong Kong I say Merry Christmas I'm asking my mother-in-law <laughs> she gave me a she says Merry Christmas there right, so so, it is Merry Christmas present yeah yeah you could it could be happy or merry okay. but in this case um, you know such and such and the like and whatnot. have a good All one right, see ya